In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. So this is a day where we talk about the biggest stories in entertainment this week. Right now, the big story is Jennifer Lopez. J-Lo has a new documentary about her movie, and that movie is about her life. Today on the podcast, it is time to talk about the J-Lo Cinematic Universe. The group chat's here. Let's go. I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud, and this is Commotion. Okay, look, I don't know, personally, I don't know a celebrity who is as good at being a celebrity as Jennifer Lopez is. I think she's so skilled at it, at getting people to talk about her, because she often tries to play with or challenge our image of her. She did that a few weeks ago, right, because she put out this new album, and then with that album, she put out this movie musical that movie was something else. It was kind of wild. Fans went crazy dissecting it on the internet. Jane Fonda was there for some reason. I don't really understand. Now, JLo's put out a new documentary that is about the making of the film. We have layers of self-mythology to talk about. The group chat is here. Jackson Weaver is here. Lainey Louie is here. And joining us for the very first time is culture critic Julianne Escobedo Shepard. Julianne, Jackson, Lainey, welcome to the show. How's it going, everybody? Hi! We have so much J-Lo to talk about that this is, like, going to be the light and delight of my life. Let's start with this, with the new musical movie, because I think people need to sort of, like, ground ourselves in that. That It's called This Is Me Now, a love story. Uh, A lot of critics, a lot of fans were just kind of confused when it came out. Lainey, you were one of those confused people. Now that you've seen it, are you still confused? Well, first of all, I've seen it three times. Uh, wow. I've okay, watched the documentary on. twice. Okay. Yes. Yes. I am just as confused. The whole thing is nonsense. And but does that matter to me? No. I <laughs> I don't think that's the point. Like I I who's who was going into that? That film being like, oh, I'm going to discover, you know, what the atomic formula for, <laughs> I don't know, Tears. fission is. Is that okay. a part of the, is that a part of the movie? Is that what I'm, is that what I'm to learn here? Well, there is like, you know, biology involved in the sense of like, she okay. has to, she has to restart a heart. Okay. Oh, of a course. Mechanical heart. A it's, mechanical heart. Yeah. So it's technology and mechanical engineering, Jackson. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, what, an, what an overwhelming thing to just even think about. I have not seen it, let alone three times. Lainey, why do you keep returning to it, do you think? Why do you go, you know what? I need to watch this another time. Listen, my job is I I call myself a celebrity researcher. Yes. And so when a celebrity, as you say, uh, is so good at self-mythologizing as J-Lo is, and she's giving us this content for, for us, for me, people who do my job to research, yes. to understand this concept of celebrity, 
I don't know why I would complain and I don't know why I wouldn't watch it as many times as possible. Like as far as I'm concerned, the film is like a laboratory. And I'm like got my lab coat on, right? My yeah. microscope going and I am doing the studies. I mean, there's something to be said about like very few celebrities give us this much to dissect. Very few celebrities actually engage with their own image and their own idea of celebrity. Julianne, you reviewed the album, you watched a new film, you watched a documentary. Yeah. What is the story that JLo's trying to tell with all of these releases kind of colliding at the same time, do you think? You know, that's a very good question. And I'm with Lainey and that like, I'm not totally sure. So I think, I think that she's trying to tell us that she has been on this like intense journey to love herself. But actually what it is really telling us is how much she is in love with Ben Affleck and it just supersedes everything. And, yes. and it's, it's, yeah, it's very confusing. <laughs> is, it, but is there, when you look at this moment in JLo and you see the <laughs> investment, and we will talk about the literal investment in a moment, um, <laughs> I mean, the, the investment that she has in sort of framing herself, where do you see, you know, like JLo fitting in in this moment in her career trying to tell this, this specific story, do you think, Julianne? I mean, she's very much in the lineage of what Beyonce did, you know, for HBO like 10 years ago or yes. how long ago that was. Um, I think that she's still trying to prove that she is worth the pop stardom that she has mm. in a weird way. But also I think she's really trying to, you know, just the mythology is a great, is a great word for it. Yeah. She is literally trying to mythologize <clears throat> herself, including with a Tino legend in the movie that she oh. follows very loosely and confusingly. <laughs> and in the... <laughs> the roses, the roses. Yeah. <laughs> I, Jackson, okay, let's talk about the documentary for a moment because in the documentary you learned that JLo couldn't find anyone to fund the project, right? To fund the mm. movie that she wanted to make. So JLo's like, I've got this idea. It's going to be a movie that goes along with my album. Can anyone give me some money for this? And she got crickets. She got nobody willing mm. to fund this thing. So what so does she surprising. do? Well, right? Well, <laughs> but, she, but here's the thing that she does. She goes, she spends millions of dollars of her own money to make this thing. Mm. Is that a common approach to approaching this? I mean, absolutely not. They even say in the movie, like, no, you don't. This is the cardinal sin in Hollywood. But it, so it's not at all normal to fund your own movie. Yeah. I think it's a bit more normal for musicians to have a very firm hand and grasp on how their story gets told. Sure. Or more normally, their estates. Like we saw the Bob Marley movie that had like almost every single one of Bob Marley's family had a hand in how that story was going to get told. Yeah, they back, have producer think, like, credits. Years. They have all those kinds of things. And yeah. all of yeah. them. And then like yeah. earlier, we had the Marley documentary. At the yeah. same time, there was going to be another Marley movie at that same time with Bob Marley's wife, Rita, as the executive producer. The Marley family said, no, you're not allowed to do it. And the way they stopped them is the way that all music, uh, musical estate and families are able to craft the sort of style of movie that's made about them yeah. by not allowing you to use any of their copyrighted music. So sure. all I'd say is that, like, it's not super normal for that to happen, but for her to really craft literally what her story is going to be, that like never happens. It might've been interesting if like Taylor Swift or someone did it, somebody that you want to learn more about. Sure. But 
Uh-uh, not this. Okay, so I, I, with that said, I want to play a clip that's been getting a lot of online traction since this documentary dropped this week. Here's J-Lo getting a little candid about what this project means to her versus what it might actually mean to everyone else. I didn't even have to make the record. It's not like anybody was clamoring for the next J-Lo record. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I know that there's some people around me here like, this is stupid. Why is she doing this? She doesn't need to do this. And they're right. I don't need to do any of it. I don't, but I want to. What I liked about that is that as we started playing the clip, you guys started laughing. Like you couldn't make it through the clip. But Lainey, like that's a that's a sensitive moment. Actually, that's a really sensitive moment of J Lo kind of being like, I know, I get it. Nobody else wants to make this thing. You guys think I'm a little bit nuts, but I it means a lot for me to do this. What do you make of that moment? I listen. I found the documentary incredibly appealing. I yeah. already went into it as a J Lo fan, right? So I know that I am predisposed to be in support of her. Sure. But what I appreciated was, even though she's J Lo and the skin is always glowing yeah. and the body is always bodying, yes, she showed us that there are things about J Lo that aren't always winning. Mm. Um, we just talked about her having to finance this project because yes, nobody wanted to like invest in it. And I don't blame them. I, I get that. Like I, <laughs> as, as much of, I don't know if I would have like, you know, given her a hundred bucks to like in her GoFundMe. You, you wouldn't kick into the Kickstarter. No. Got it. All right. I get that. Yeah. And I also appreciate that she not only admitted to sinking $20 million of her own money into this, but she showed us a clip of all the celebrities who rejected her. So like, we're talking yeah. Jennifer Coolidge and Jason Momoa and Lizzo mm -hmm. and Ariana Grande and even Taylor Swift. So to me, this is kind of the opposite of Taylor Swift's signature squatting. Where all we've ever seen from Taylor is how much people want to be friends with her and who gets to be invited into the special suite at the football game. By contrast, JLo's like, uh, so look how unpopular I am and no one wants to talk with me. <laughs> yeah. No one will take my calls. I have to beg Jane Fonda on the phone to be in my movie and she pity said yes to me. And frankly, <laughs> I appreciate that because J-Lo has always seen hmm. herself as an underdog. And it's hard to believe her now, 30, 35 years into her career, how could you be an underdog? But she came yeah. from the Bronx. She was a woman with curves, a Latina woman in a business at the time that was largely white and largely blonde for women. And she did feel like an underdog and she still carries that chip on her shoulder. Mm -hmm. And even now she's like, I'm still kind of an underdog among all these people on a level Hollywood celebrity playing field. Yeah. I still can't get these people to pick up the phone and say yes to me. Hmm. I yeah, appreciate please. that. That I appreciate that candor, and I believe it because she showed us. But the, yeah. but the, but I hear that. I mean, okay, so I want to go to you on this, Julianne, in a moment. But also, like what I what I hear about that is like the dissonance between, you know, the idea that these people won't pick up the phone, um, and also, hey, you're Jennifer Lopez. Like we've played this tape to the end. 
we know you won, right? Like we know you won because we know that you did the halftime show at the Super Bowl and you did you you've you sold millions and millions of records. Like there's something to be said about the fact that like you've kind of already proven yourself. And there's this question of what else is there left for you to prove? And to me, I guess like when I see it artist documentaries, I sort of I'm, I'm I get a little bit frustrated by this trend that we're seeing lately, which is artists making their own documentaries because they get to sort of inject their own mythology into it and sometimes i'm kind of looking at the premise of this thing and be like i don't buy the very premise i don't buy the very premise that you're still an underdog this many years into your career but because we don't have the journalists making these documentaries we have these actual artists themselves producing them they get to inject these mythologies and now we have to deal with the consequences of that so like do you buy the story that that the jail is telling there julianne yeah, it's tough because, I mean, this underdog, which I agree, she is sort of an underdog when you put her on the level with Beyonce and Taylor Swift, sure. and and she had an underdog come up. But, you know, she still had millions of dollars to put into her own, like, vanity project. $20 million. So, <laughs> it's real, yes. real underdog crises there. Yes, continue. Sorry. Yeah. But I will say, I did find her documentary a little bit more believable mm, than a okay. lot of other documentaries from pop stars of her caliber because it really did i mean she showed everyone in her life begging her not to do this jane fonda is like <laughs> everyone's sick of you and ben do not do this her business partner is like you are absurd for making this movie and like everyone is like no 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 and she's yeah. like still has something to prove she's bawling you know i i mean everyone balls in their own documentary oh, sure of course um, but i do think that you know what we're looking at is products right mm -hmm. like these these documentaries and and um you know self-made movies are meant to move the product and what they're giving us is the product not necessarily the person behind the product and mm -hmm. you know i think that because journalists tend to ask questions that are uncomfortable or yeah. that that pop stars don't want to answer they have found a way to control their own narratives and mm -hmm. i don't I think they're gonna stop I, I find that very generous of you, uh, Jackson. Let me say, um, let, let me put it to you. How do you how do you feel about these documentaries when when you do when they do come out and we see they have the artists themselves as executive producer and producer and also star and there for nearly every frame and you go, I think you might have also written this. I mean, I think this is like like was said. This is surprisingly really insightful. Uh, hmm. I don't think you usually get that, yeah. and I think it's going to be like the next big trend are these music biopics because like as i was saying before if you make a, a a movie about kennedy or whatever no one can stop you from using the newsreels of him yeah. but if you're making a documentary about a musician if you want to tell the story of of bob marley or anyone like that sure. you can't have them go on stage and not sing their song and if the estate has the rights to that song they can keep you from using it and right. we're going to see more and more of that and people really want to protect that legacy so they can sell yeah. more of the music build more of the legends feel more grand grandiose so it's not super enjoyable or heartening to see but 
oh my gosh, I think we're going to see a million more of it. Michael Shelton next year. We'll see how deep that one gets. So I actually, like, I'm glad you brought that up because on Monday's show of this very show of Commotion, we are talking about this trend. We're talking about mm. how biopics have kind of become, uh, on Tuesday's show, sorry, my, my apologies, on Tuesday's show, we're talking about um, how uh, biopics have kind of become a replacement for history and what mm. happens when you begin to lose actual history and start replacing it by all the self-mythologizing, using that upcoming Michael Jackson movie as sort of like the, the way to get into that story. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Folks who are just joining us, my name is Alamin Abdul Mahmoud, and you're listening to Commotion. We've got culture critics Jackson Weaver and Lainey Louie and Julianne Escobedo Shepard here with me. And I want to switch gears now, and I want to talk about a clip that went viral this week. It's this exchange between Timothy Chalamet and an interviewer during the press run for Dune Part 2. I would find it so hard to, like, you've obviously got a relationship with somebody who is also your friend. It's not even like you don't know them. They're actually your friend. Is it easier or harder to, like, have a relationship on screen with somebody who you're actually pals with? Would you rather someone you didn't know? I don't really, there's no good answer to that. I feel that it's what the story required. And maybe in some ways, because we are good friends, maybe it was less weird. Yeah. Yikes. So, okay, so the person interviewing <laughs> Timothy Chalamet there, his name is Sam Thompson. Sam is a UK reality TV star turned radio host and podcaster. Look, that clip reignited this debate about the role of influencers in entertainment journalism. Lainey, for anyone listening who maybe didn't see anything wrong with asking a star, hey, what's it like kissing your friend on screen? Can you explain why that, uh, that clip upset so many people? I, I actually... I don't know why it upset that many okay. people. Okay, all right, go on. It's kind of a standard question that has been asked of actors in films. Uh, in you know, what was it like filming that love scene? Was it uncomfortable? It, yeah. it, it is in the same DNA. So I'm surprised at what the outrage is. It's been quite a big reaction to it, yeah. Yeah, and I guess my... My assumption is because um, a lot of these social media users who whip up the outrage are novices and only remember things in entertainment that happened five minutes ago um, and <laughs> don't have a long foundation, a solid foundation of pop culture studies. Because, again, like it's not the first time this question has been asked. Sure. It gets, you know, is it a boring question? Sure. But does boring merit this kind of outrage? Is it a derivative question? Sure. Does yeah. derivative merit this kind of outrage? I don't know. So I think there's a lot more going on here. Well, so I, let's talk about that because it's at, at its face, it's the majority of the problem here that it, that it is a boring question, right? Is that like in a moment, Jackson, where you see so many entertainment journalists being laid off um, and losing mm. their jobs um, and you go – 
look, these junkets are difficult to do to begin with, mm -hmm. right? Like, the, because the idea is like you're in there with the stars for maybe five minutes and you get a chance to ask them like three questions and then you move on. Mm -hmm. um, entertainment journals who are really good at what they do um, would have relished the opportunity to ask Timothy Chalamet and Austin Butler some questions about Dune. Um, but then you get influencers and they are likely to do the thing that you just mentioned, Lady, which is like maybe ask a boring or der derivative question when maybe there were much more interesting questions to ask them. So when you see this moment there, Jackson, there's a reason uh, that influencers like Sam Thompson are getting access to these press junkets. Can you talk a little bit about that? Why are influencers getting, you know, more space in these junkets? I mean, so when you go to the junket, like you said, you have a very short amount of time, but also almost all of the time you're told you can't ask personal questions like if you go into that junket they'll say have to stick to the movie can't ask them about their personal lives yeah. and also if they're an actor not a writer you can't like ask timothy chalamet like why did paul go into the desert it's like because it was written on the script <laughs> so there's not a ton really there to ask them so it's a real skill sure. to craft a question that gets an interesting response and actually minds them gives them the ability to answer something and if you're not an entertainment journalist or like just you know a freelancer who's crafted that skill yeah it's not as easy just walking in and just thinking of like off the top of your head what you're going to ask and yeah a lot of production houses know that and if you give an influencer who's just going to softball things in you're not going to have as upset like like we we're talking with the j-lo documentary you're not going to have proative insightful deep challenging questions yeah so it can be a little bit easier and also like if you get a us like i'm not allowed to take gifts i'm not allowed to you know be swayed in certain ways sure. if you are an influencer theoretically there's nothing really to stop you from you know working with them during the strike sure. or taking a gift basket and then giving good review there's nothing ethically barring you from doing that so it can be a little bit a little bit um more appetizing to get an influencer there other than a journalist uh, jackson I, i'll give you a gift basket but buddy don't worry I, <laughs> thank I, you it's, it's in the mail immediately after this <laughs> Julian, it really has been this really tough year for entertainment journalists, right? Like so many outlets are laying off people, restructuring, including Pitchfork, where you're a contributing writer. Mm. If you had to forecast, you know, what the relationship might be between influencers and journalists, what it might look like in, I don't know, five years or so, what would you say where, where, where we're going to go there? I mean, maybe all the journalists will become influencers if it keeps going this way. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I think that it will take, you know, one lawsuit hmm. against an influencer uh, to sort of shift the way that influencers approach these interviews. Hmm. And um, I think we'll see interviews, or I'm, I'm sorry, influencers, um, applying journalistic standards to right. some of the better ones because right now they don't right now they don't have to that. right like right now they, they don't, don't have to yeah no they don't yeah. have to but you know i don't necessarily think it's totally adversarial between journalists and influencers yeah. um they're not doing what we are doing and that is fine i think it's more yeah. about you know who the corporations that allow influencers more access than journalists mm -hmm. and that's the problem it's it's not so what, to go ahead i will say though two things it's not just influencers. Like the other thing that went viral and people complained about was an actual BBC reporter with 20 years experience in entertainment asking Andrew Andrew Scott on the red carpet about Barry Keoghan's prosthetic or not prosthetic um, in Saltburn. Yeah. And the internet popped off about that too. So that yeah. person was not an influencer. It was just a bad question. Sure. And I wonder whether or not 
that question was motivated by the pressure to go viral, right? right? Mm -hmm. Everybody going into mm -hmm. these interviewers, I'm sure both of you, Julianne and Jackson, have felt like in our profession where we're like, oh, let's create a moment where we can post it on TikTok and then everybody will see it. Sure. Or, or you know, and so I think that, you know, I, those kind of questions are not the exclusive domain of, of influence. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I agree. You'd, you'd see Tom Cruise on the red carpet. He's been accosted by some terrible red carpet questions. Robert Downey Jr. famously walked out of that Channel 4, I think, interview. Sure. There's definitely bad questions, bad journalism. Um, you're just not necessarily beholden to a lot of questions when you don't have that ethical standard and you mm -hmm. get fired if you don't say it. But like as you were saying, this is not adversarial. This is like about having equal amounts of people in, in that room. I, yeah. Can I go back to your point, oh. though, Elamine? <laughs> yeah, okay, Sorry. please do. I, I, forget my Julianne's question. Point. You go back. Yeah, go back. Sorry, yeah. Julianne's point go about Julianne's how point. this is affecting uh, entertainment journalism. Yeah. I think that there is lots of opportunity for influencers to learn yeah. and to mm -hmm. get better. I'm an example of that. I started mm -hmm. as a blogger. I had no business being in television. And then I got to be doing what I am now. Mm -hmm. And the difference is because I was brought into a television network and I was trained by professionals. Yes. Right. So here's what the danger will be. If you keep firing or laying off people with experience, who is going to be around to train the influencer? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. But let's, let's, okay. We got maybe like a couple of minutes left here. I want to talk, um, Lainey, about this distinction because if I am, I don't know, if I'm running a studio and I have a new movie coming out and I want to do a QA with, 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 with the actors in front of a live audience to get them excited about this movie, I can call an entertainment journalist. I can say, Jackson, come interview this person. Or I can call somebody who will bring in with them, you know, 70 people to the screening. And like you kind of go, Jackson, sorry, buddy, you know, I'm dropping you, you get a gift basket later. But really what I'm gonna go, what I'm gonna do is like choose the influencer because they bring in that audience. And suddenly you have Jackson's skill set replaced by someone who just has an audience and that's why they're there. That to me is the danger here. Right? That's the danger when you begin to uh, prioritize what influencers do over what entertainment journalists do. Well, and I, I think that, yes, I think that increasingly what we do, entertainment journalists, are un, is undervalued. Yes. And I yes. would love for the industry to really wake up, especially after incidents of, you know, gay son or ha thought daughter at the like, People's <laughs> Choice Awards, which was asked of America Ferreira. But However, that's, that's an influencer asking that question, right? That like, was a TikToker yes. asking that question. Yeah. However, I also think that we have a responsibility to play in that too. As mm. media, people are still yes. working in media. Are, sure. how, are we chasing the white whale of virality? Are, are we the ones like, not valuing ourselves we got it's got to start there mm -hmm. i think that is a perfect place to leave it uh, i appreciate you guys being on the show thank you so much for this lively discussion you guys are the best and i would you know what if i if i had a movie i'd come to you guys and i would say put them on the air those are the people who deserve to be there. thank you for your time everybody i appreciate you thank, thank, you. You. thank you thank you so much of course jackson weaver is a senior writer for cbc entertainment news laney louie is an etox senior correspondent and founder of laneygossip.com and julianne escobedo shepherd is a freelance writer and contributor at Pitchfork. This show is called Commotion. That is it for the podcast. Listen, we're going to be here next week. My name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. I'll see you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.